You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. You're listening to another episode of Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Tonight's episode is titled Creation and the Fall. Now, here are your host and theologians ex nihilo, Tim and Caleb. What you think, Tim? Are we theo- theologians that are created out of nothing? Uh, well, I think we might be theologians that don't have much to say about stuff, but uh, I don't know. Created out of nothing. Probably so. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. It doesn't say theologians created out of nothing. It just says yeah, theologians I, out of nothing. Out of, it's really theologians out of nothing. Um, well, that I would probably part. concur with. <laughs> yeah, that probably so we've got right. a we've got a fun topic tonight. Creation in the fall. Certainly something that uh, that causes a lot of people some uh, some discussion consternation to be sure. Yeah, um, I think that we've got um, either either implicitly, sometimes explicitly, a lot of things that we miss um, what the intent of the original author was intending to communicate, um, especially when it comes to the creation. And so, you know, mm-hmm. as we were speaking, we think that, you know, that's probably kind of a good place to start really before we even move to talking about the fall is just really kind of talking about what's happening here in Genesis 1 and in the creation events. I know I've got some thoughts and opinions on all of that mm-hmm. um, that that are probably that you wouldn't disagree with where, where we both probably kind of land in on the same places. Um, sure. But I'd love to hear kind of your input on a lot of this too, at least as far as um, authorial intent what was being intended to communicate i guess for me is very is very important that i think that we miss um or have missed being really taught what um what the importance of what's going on in i think in in these days of creation i do think it's fair to say that anytime you settle down in something like genesis um at genesis especially that you're always missing something about the authorial intent one is so distantly far sure. from us culturally. Sure. Um, but then on a whole nother level, it never really, you know, it's not like the epistles of the New Testament where they kind of sometimes discuss, or even the gospels of the New Testament where they sit down and discuss why they're writing this. Um, we have to pull from the context, from the story. We actually have to pull from later books to even find out who's writing this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Genesis doesn't have an, an author's signature on it or anything like that. We find out in later books that it's Moses writing it. Um, and then we find out what time frame. And then so we can start digging in and going, wait a second, wait a second. This isn't even being written until after the events of the Exodus. Now what? You know, how does that morph and change and... How does that affect, you know, the way that we read, you know, Moses, for instance, being as a baby put into an ark? And should that, you know, call into mind something about Genesis 6 through 9? You know, I mean, it's really quite fascinating that that things like this come up. And then now the laws of the covenant get put in yet another ark. Um, Just connections like that that rarely get made 
and uh, get overlooked pretty quick because we never really sit down and ask what the context is of something like Genesis. We immediately get into the creation discussion, uh, the origins of Earth discussion of life, then science somehow comes into it, and now we've lost biblical interpretation for all time and eternity. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and that so that therein begins, you know, the kind of the whole science dis- discussion and young earth, old earth debate that so many of us get into, um, which I think just really takes us away from from what's really important um, right. here. Uh, theologically speaking, what's being communicated. And so you brought up like the these arcs or these themes that are now going to repeat themselves throughout the Bible. Um, and so, of course, if you're starting at Genesis and reading from Genesis 1 on through, yeah, you know, we don't find out exactly who the author is, but then it's kind of like, well, when we do, it it should make us kind of want to go back and, you know, oh, okay, well, th- does that change some things possibly that's happening? And I, I would say definitely yes, based upon when we do find out that the original author is Moses, um, who is his audience, and where is their audience at when they are receiving this? Um, right. Not specifically, but a little bit, you know, geographically, what's happened to the people of Israel and where are they at when Moses is, is now communicating this to them because it's really important when we understand that they're coming out of Egypt and out of that culture um, and really kind of, you know, God's teaching them and showing them who they are and giving them this new identity. Um, God's telling them who they are. And and most importantly, he's revealing to them who he is and, and how they should respond to him um, based upon what he's telling them. Hmm. So there, there's so much theological depth within these first, especially these first 12 chapters, but just just in 1 through 3, there's so much stuff happening. That's so f- really fun for people like Tim and I to really discuss and dig into because there's just some really exciting stuff going on. There really is. And, and it's, it's some of my favorite chapters of the Bible um, because I think so many people have poured over it. And yet there's a lot of stuff that just goes under our nose. Um, and, you know, you, you still have so many myths that are passed around about Genesis 1, 2, and even 3, for crying out loud. Um, and then so many things that people just pass over and don't really settle on. You know, where why why is God barring them from a garden using one of the most terrifying beings in existence you know i mean that kind of stuff just wait wait a second wait uh, did i just read that and there's one verse and it passes and then it goes into chapter four and it's like uh maybe a little bit more time we could spend yeah and we're not explained really here what what exactly is happening because it's almost like the person that wrote this is speaking to an audience that kind of automatically there's an assumption that they already kind of know exactly know what culture. it is that's 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 being talked about and as you said before at the introduction that it's so far removed from us and that's part of the things of of what we miss 
It's uh, what makes it so complicated for us to read yeah. because we really don't know what we're looking for. And yeah. I think that's one of the I think that's one of the aspects of especially the first five books of the Bible that we we really get into trouble with when we try to um, when we try to recreate it as though we can place ourselves there rather than seeing it as completely different from us. Semitic civilizations are not like old school Western civilizations. They have a completely different mindset. Um, and and it really really shows up uh, all over the place and so they have they have a, a different culture starting place than we did even though even though say in the West for either Greece or Rome for instance you know we came from polytheism there were still rumblings of monotheism all throughout it and the gods were not considered just strictly to one area or one thing they may have a special city that recognized them. But there was an understanding that, you know, there's a centrally located, you know, look at the Greeks, for instance, centrally located uh, mountain on which they all lived. Um, uh, and they were all related somehow and all worked into these kind of things. Ancient Near East is not exactly like that. They've got a whole different worldview they're working with um, that's much more nationalistic, much more um, divided up by nations. And so were the gods. Um, so is the worship of those gods. So is the responsibility of those gods. It, it, it's, it's just completely different. <laughs> so when, yeah. when you have a god coming in that's saying, oh, by the way, um, all those different areas that you have different gods for, I made all of those areas. Yeah, I'm it. I'm the man. I'm actually the god. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm the, the god. most high. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so let's just kind of. Uh, let's bring some context. And so we spoke about Moses, you know, being the the author, um, mm -hmm. speaking to his people, Israel. So like when we go in to, to verse one from the beginning, it says he created the heavens and the earth. Earth was out without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Mm -hmm. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's expand on that. A little bit. Oh, sure, no problem. <laughs> uh, well, I, I love the I love the Hebrew phrase tohu vavohu, right? The formless and voidness of it. It was just, you know, they, it, it's it is a unique it is a unique uh, creation story because a lot of it deals with the the pulling out from chaos and and disorder disarray, if you will. Yeah. Um, if you notice, the creation of the waters is not mentioned. Um, you do have verse 1, which a lot of people take as kind of like the first part of the statements. In reality, verse 1 kind of plays as the title. Um, right. It's almost the title of this whole section here. Here's the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, let's start with the earth. The earth was without void. form and void. You know, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So you've got just a water world that has not begun the focused creative effort yet now the immediate question would come to your mind if you start to realize the first one is at least literarily uh more more a title of this rather than part of the narrative um where did this water world come from hmm. why is it in disarray why is it formless why isn't it good really yet because God doesn't say, oh, well, this formless and void world that's filled with darkness over the face of the deep. This is good. He doesn't yeah, say that yet. Yeah, and I, I you know, perceive 
on on that that um you know the way that they looked at the deep the darkness um the waters is this idea of chaos um the neither world it, and and so instantly because i you know i've read my new testament too and i know that i believe that jesus is god and also look at these things like the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters mm-hmm. and i'll you know i go to jesus walking on the water type of a thing as you know kind of alluding back to this type of a thing um christ is 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 there and showing his his deity at least authors communicating that idea and then you have the spirit of god hovering over the face of the waters well that hovering over the face of waters and the area where they believed to be death tells us now something extraordinary about this god that moses is telling about them about this god one of the attributes of god that he's hovering over the face of it (laughs) Right. And, you know, I mean, when you know, we, we kind of lack a really good terminology for this Hebrew f- turn of phrase. Um, this is this is more like it's not just a, a uh, you know, a positional preposition of sorts. It's not just a uh, he, that's where he was. He was just hovering over them. It was more of a, a cherishing and a brooding. Yeah. Uh, like a chicken over its eggs. Right. I mean, this is a. Um, by the way, um, for the Greek translation of this, it uses the same terminology um, with regards to the Virgin Mary and how the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Mm. Um, that same type of reference is coming to something that has no life. And as we know, I mean, this is, this is the very verse that I start my pneumatology course in. You know, the, what is the Holy Spirit of God? He is the life giver. That is his primary role. That's what he's here doing. There is no life here on this planet. There is no life on this formless void world. Nothing. And that's why the Spirit of God is here brooding over it like a chicken over its eggs. The same way brooding over um, the Virgin Mary to bring about the life of Christ. That same focus, that same role of the Spirit of God is seen here. And so we can even extrapolate out from that, that while the earth was without form and void, it was also without life. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's literally setting us up for something that's about to happen right. with the creation, that he's about to breathe life into it. So we go into verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there no. was light. Let's, let's set aside um, 21st century and 19th century and 20th century desires for this verse to say things that it's not talking about. It's not trying to sit here and go, oh, you know, waves and particles. No, no, no. We, we, you have to read this as close as we can to somebody that lived 3,400 years ago. What is darkness? Mm. Right? What is darkness to you? It's, it, no, they would have seen it as, or how, uh, even, you know, it's, it's dark. You can't see. It's, right. It's the neither world. It's dangerous. Right. It's it's everything that the ocean is. Right. I mean, you can you can even see this in chaos. Um, one of my one of my favorite poems in the Bible is actually written by Jonah, mm. um, when he sinks down into the great deep, and he talks about he he likens it to sinking down to Sheol, mm-hmm. going down to the grave, going into the darkness, going into death, and the weeds wrapped around him and just pulled him to the darkness. I mean. 
the idea that in the middle of this darkened world not darkened just dark world that has no ground no firm place no established thing and no life all of a sudden just light is part of it again light is part of this world that has no purpose to it yet and no life to it yet all we can see now is its state of lifelessness that's that's more along the lines of what somebody 3500 years ago would have seen and felt reading that it really was not a uh, oh where's the light coming from what kind of light is it what color of light is it coming from the sun or from god himself they're not they're not asking any of that they don't care it doesn't matter they care about completely different things all of a sudden we get a setting and now we can see the current situation and the first thing that god does when he responds to that is what verse four and god said god saw that the light was good and god separated the light from the darkness right he doesn't make it eternal day it's a day night cycle it's a day night cycle right. um we are gonna be in error of course when we just automatically put our modern lens and just go well there's the sun and then there's you know because the next verse starts light day darkness he called night mm -hmm. there was evening morning the first day right. now to 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 put on the idea of it being a literal 24-hour day that there's a sun there totally misses the point because first of all the text doesn't say that Mm -mm. The the text says let there be light and there was light. Right. That's um, really the that's really the literary focus here. Yeah. Now now somebody thirty four hundred years ago experiences day and night cycles every single day, and so they would have automatically made that connection without the sun or the moon. They automatically would. It's sitting right there. What is that day night cycle that we see all the time every night? I mean here this is being given to them they're reading it hearing it really most of them hearing it while they are in the wilderness mm -hmm. wandering around in the desert and i'll tell you if you ain't never been in the desert at night that's a scary place uh it is it is not a fun place to be it at nighttime it's not really a fun place to be at daytime if a desert kind of is a horrible place to wander by the way um but they're they're walking through this and they understand day night cycle it's not hard it's pretty straightforward and so they're reading this they're going okay so that's where this cycle came from we understand why night sucks and why day is awesome um even though it can be oppressively hot at times um but tim is there also the possibility too you know since they're coming out of this culture where they worship the sun and the moon and the the way that say egypt um looked at these things the fact that light is coming just through the words of god stating it i think is is very theologically relevant that they would have noticed it too because there is no mention of him making the sun or moon and i think that that's part of the point too um because obviously we're not even going to get to have the possibility of having a 24-hour day as we would know it um, because these celestial bodies, known as the sun, moon, and stars, aren't even made till the fourth day. Well, we'll, we'll get to the fourth day when we get to the fourth day. Let's, but, but here let's, it's important, meaning that there's light 
God said it and it and it was there. Right. Right. So but again, somebody somebody in that time frame is not sitting there trying to go, wait, what's the source of the light? They're just interacting with the fact that they can finally see that this is a a lifeless, formless, and void world. That's all that that's all that is trying to express here. Now there are things that we'll come to when we get to day four that will come back and mm-hmm. see, you know, what what exactly are we dealing with with regards to this. Um but yeah, no, yeah, there's there's definitely some curiosity with that. Sure. All right. So let's go into verse six. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. What's happening there, Tim? Waters it's from a, waters. It's a, it is a curious thing, this, um, and a lot of people have made a lot of conjecture about this uh, idea that there is basically used to be a um uh, uh, like a, a floating ocean of some type above the atmosphere uh surrounded the whole world um and and all sorts of other things again questions that we're trying to answer from a scientific realm which to be perfectly honest there's no way something like that occurs um we're trying to address that with a modernist lens uh, and trying to ask questions of the text that it's not stinking addressing. It's coming here and addressing the reality that there's a purposeful air pocket that we know of as the heavens where the birds fly. And that God made that by separating out waters. What does that mean? To be perfectly honest, there's there's a couple of different possibilities, but none of them are really definitive with regards to the text. The text mm-hmm. says pretty much what it says there. Um, I can tell you this. I, I do not hold any canopy theory or anything like that. Um, outside of perhaps maybe some people would have read it that way throughout history and seen certain aspects of that there. Um, but that God did something here that we're probably not aware of. Um, I have no issue believing. Um, but I, I have not yet heard a convincing theory on uh, on something that is is out of sight with what we currently see in the sky so he's not talking about why why there's a hole in the ozone layer at this time uh no not to my knowledge no yeah so that's not that's not what's happening um in the midst of the waters so it's it's just that the idea of that language midst of the waters separating the waters from the waters so I, I guess what you're saying is you're there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are asserting some things that may not necessarily be so because they're kind of really just reading into the text more than what the text is revealing to us, quite simply. Yeah, and 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 the thing is is that I mean if you immediately have to leave Genesis one to go understand Genesis one, like you have to run to a different passage of scripture really quick and then come back here, it's it's usually a sign that you're you're asking things of the text prematurely. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to struggle in the text first. We want mm-hmm. to, you know, I don't even want to go to day four before we wrestle with day one. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to ask where the light's coming from. I just mm-hmm. want to sit in day one as it's written. Um, and then I want to sit in day two as it's written and be confused for a second here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I mean, what does he say here, right? Let there be an expanse. Uh, let there be, uh, let's see, an expanse in the midst of the heavens. Um and let it separate the waters from the waters. 
Uh, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. Hmm. Sky. Uh, birds flying area stuff. Uh, that, He's not that, talking about the celestial abode heaven. Um, here. So, again, it's a term that is not directly definable. I mean, you have words that are in here that are directly definable. Yom, for instance, it means day. Okay, right. making this something other than day is just a fool's errand. Uh, heaven, however, is used for all sorts of things uh, in the Bible. The place where birds fly, the, bir the air that we breathe and all that. Um, the place where the sun, moon, and stars are seen. And also the abode of God. Um, I'm not thinking that same so word we, can be used for all of them. Then, of course, we do that yeah. in our language. Uh, you know, oh, you know, the the heavens declare the glory of God. No one's really looking at the place where the birds fly and thinks that's what Psalm 19 is talking about. Mm -hmm. Nor are we thinking that the abode of God is what it's talking about because what we're looking at is is sun, moon, stars, planets, all sorts of things that are going on out there, and. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a more complicated passage than most people think it is either. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, it's that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, really throws into the mix of how to interpret such things. Um, where have you landed on some of that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, just looking at the text, um, you know, I, I'm still looking, trying to, ancient near eastern worldview people you know so the fact that god's the one that's first of all controlling what would be de deemed as chaos meaning waters darkness all these ideas of chaos um and there he is kind of walking in its mist he's the one that separates waters from waters um if the idea of waters and and that language is in in their mind considered death and and chaos mm -hmm. he's walking in the midst of it kind of kind of he's the one that's in control he's the one that's now bringing some order to things there mm -hmm. there was no order there's darkness um he's hovering over it and like we're seeing this now into the second day he's a god he's a god that instills order I really like that because I need some order in my life. Um, so it, it's good to know that I worship the God that is a God of order and not a God of chaos. Right. Now, a, a, a kind of a word needs to be spoken here on um, something I mentioned in passing with regards to, um, you know, a, a hardened firmament of some sort uh that under which the whole earth is laid for instance because that would have existed in a um in an ancient near eastern mindset um there are those who would hold to that's kind of the reality either even today um or somewhat in the past that um that maybe that was a pre-flood thing or you know, i honestly i've heard a whole pile of theories about it um the problem is that what what time frame Genesis one is describing is not the time frame of those who are reading it. It adds a whole nother layer of frustration to the interpretation. Yeah. Is Moses writing to the people of Israel in language they'd understand, or is he writing to them and saying, Hey, the world 
time frame that we happen to be dwelling in in the 1400s BC is actually accurate in how it viewed the beginning of the world. You think there's some polemical discourse um, based upon maybe their Egyptian creation myths and stuff? I that's... wouldn't have any issue with that. I, now, yeah. you know, let, me, let me say that with reservation. Yeah. Um, God speaking to us on our level is not yes. God lying to us. Correct. And and I, I, I want to be really clear on this because there there's a lot of people that come to these passages and require things of them for our culture and expect that God doesn't have to bend down to us to, te to talk to us. He can speak to us as fully mature humans, but to the people in the past, he could speak down to. Um, and the reality is he speaks down to all of us uh, while coming to our level. Uh, he mm. describes them in terminologies that they'd understand what in the world he's talking about because there isn't other stuff in their language to describe it elsewise. Um, so do I think that because the ancient Near East at this time held to an idea of a solid sky above them, that that water lit, was on the other side of it, does that mean that that's exactly how God created the world? No. No. That means that, hey, all that stuff about the beginning of the world, yeah, this is the God that did this. Because the primary purpose of Genesis is to introduce the people of God as they're wandering about the wilderness that god that they keep on seeing in the fire tornado that's above the tabernacle wherever they're walking we want to know who this god is that's right they tried when they crossed yeah. the red sea they tried to explain who the gods are that pulled them up out of egypt they tried with a with a calf and was moses come down no 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 that's not the god that's not the one who took you up out of egypt let me tell you the god who took you up out of egypt He's not just this local deity or that one that took this out or whatever. He's the one who made all of it. That's the main idea. And then how is that deity connected to you? Well, there's 38 chapters of Genesis that talk about Abraham and his sons and his sons' sons and all that um, down to them. Uh, how all of this, uh, this, this is what I'm trying to express here. I, I know that some of our some of our teaching on um, on the second day here with regards to firmaments and expanses and waters above and waters below and all this kind of stuff. The reality is Moses and God are not sitting here trying to write down how the world works. No. They are introducing the people of Israel to the God who made everything. No matter whether they think of it rightly. I mean... And God speaking to them on their level is not insulting. It's God being clear with them, yeah. right? We think Clarity. of this on, the, on another level, right? It, later on in Genesis, he talks about, um, for instance, uh, another ancient concept that that um, during during intercourse, for instance, in order to bring about a child, it is man's seed planted into the woman, just like you would put a seed into the ground, right? That's what they believed, that, that all of the proge pro progeny came from... The man. What do we know? Yeah. That's not the case. That's not. That's not. It's half, half, correct. half dad, half mom. Yeah. Right. We know that. We can see that. It's plainly. Does that mean God didn't know that? No. It meant they didn't know that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with God speaking to them on their level. And I think we really get into trouble when we go. Well, I for, you know, forget what anything else we've learned about the world. Forget. You know, that we actually know there's an egg and a sperm. 
I'm just going to hold that it's a seed and that's it. End of story. Yeah. And, and, and then I'm holding to a higher view of scripture. No, you're not. No, you're or not. that the earth's flat. Or that... Right. Yeah. Kind of this way that we interact with these things, taking things literalistically rather than literally, um, and then being proud about it and how much everyone else is being... Uh, you know, they're just being fooled or duped or you know, they, they, you know, listening to authorities other than scripture or something. No, 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 no. This is how scripture comes to, comes to us. It comes to us on our level. It's why Genesis doesn't sound like 1 Samuel. It's why 1 Samuel doesn't sound like 1 Chronicles. It's why jo Jonah does not sound like Matthew. It is why Matthew doesn't sound like Ephesians. Um, you know, it, it, Ephesians is a great example, for instance. All of this magic talk, all of this layers of, of spiritual forces in the heavenly places, all of these things. Paul doesn't write like that when he talks to the Romans. No. It's not because he's hiding it. It's not because he doesn't know about it. It's not the Romans weren't worried about that or concerned about that. They were they were working on other stuff. Um and And Paul has a different intent to communicate something right. that different and to the intent feet is really what it's all about. And most people yeah. have never sat down and thought, when was Genesis written and why was it written? We, we come to it as if it's, you know, it doesn't matter at what point in history God ever told us about the creation of the world, this is exactly how he would tell it. Not at all. If God chose to tell about the creation of his world to a different culture at a different time, it would look different and focus on different things. Now, does that mean that God didn't create the world in six days? No, that's not what that means. I'm not making any statement about that. No. I'm saying this here, Genesis 1, was written at a time and a place where God was telling his people who had just left Egypt about how he created the world and what his intent was. And it's working up to that. And why it is there's so much disorder still in a world that God made and pronounced very good. And that's what Genesis 3 is all about. Ah. So it, we just need to be careful with... with passages like this yeah and that's all yeah all right so we go into verse nine mm -hmm. uh waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear all right so we now have land and it was so that's really important obviously dry land we need it for everything else after this absolutely required when when, when we're talking about dry land appearing now it, this is interesting because this isn't the only time in genesis where this happens there's That's another right. time where it happens that a lot of people don't make the connection mm -hmm. the ark comes to rest on the tops of a mountain right whole water world again and all of a sudden everything's draining out or whatever the heck's happening and land appears and the ark can find a resting place. And then life starts coming out of it. And olive branches and all sorts of stuff. It's, it's a, a remarkable thing. Could Awesome parallels there. But the idea is now it's not disordered chaos. Now the water actually is told to stop at the shore. And it can't get past it. What about the um, these waters that are under the heavens gathered together into one place? Is he is he speaking of oceans. clouds, oceans? What, oceans. What, okay. In my in my estimation, I, I don't see that as anything more complicated than oceans. You're here, land. You're here, and here's the barrier between them called the shore, and that's where it stays. Um, 
to my to my reading i don't see any more complexity to that and that's why he goes into the next verse uh he called the dry land earth um no he's not talking about planet you know or or anything on that kind of a scale he's just talking about dirt um if i'm not mistaken i think or land just, yeah it basically is, a word that is means that land, Eretz or right? is that atama uh let me actually pull this up here it's Eretz, okay yeah uh is a broad term for land yeah atama is dirt so i just wanted to know which is really fun i love the wordplay between adam's name and atama dirt and man um so yeah let's see here we've got uh gathered in one place let the dry land appear and it was so god called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and god saw that it was good um and thus ends the things named by god ah why is that i don't know uh for the first three days he kind of names everything day and night uh he names heaven he names seas and the land um and uh light sort of um and then he just stops naming things and then he makes a bunch of things and then he makes man and says now you name everything um really cool thing anyway i'm sure somebody has written a theme on that somewhere but uh it's a fun thing just to see in passing at least for me anyway so we're in verse 10 going into verse 11. Mm-hmm. God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. Mm-hmm. It was so. It That seems to me pretty straightforward. Yes. And, and you, no, yeah, no, nothing, nothing out of ordinary with that. Uh, it's just It's just all the stuff that grows out of the ground. Uh, the earth brought forth vegetation, verse 12, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed according to their kind. It was, God said it was good. There was evening, there was morning, third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night and let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years. So now we're kind of going back to this idea of light and something mm-hmm. being up in the sky now. Right. So there, th- before you had day and night without these things that are there, and right. now they're there. Seems yeah. to me to be very relevant. Um, and then he kind of said, what's the purpose for them? These are made to indicate seasons, days, and years. Now, that's an interesting thing because this is actually the first mention we have of teleology, purpose. Um, there, so far, we haven't heard of any purpose yet. We've only heard descriptions of ontology, what God has done, and that it is so. Um, we haven't gotten a, hey, he did this uh, for this reason. This is why, it's for signs and seasons and days and years. And then so 15 kind of completes the thought, let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. Mm-hmm. So another another role of how light is getting put on the earth, but, but of course we had light before he gave these luminary bodies that role. So there was light. Um, you know, theologically, I th- you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going, well, that's, that's a big deal because... 
Um, the point being is God doesn't need luminary bodies for there to be light. All he, all he needs to do is say it and it's so. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of gives these luminary bodies a role now in, in giving this light upon the earth. Right. And so you'll actually have uh, in verse 16 a unique uh, word for um, making something because uh, it's it's not the same as create, um, uh, but it actually has more of a, um, like someone's made king, um, it, it's like appointed and formed, fashioned for that particular purpose. It's more connected to uh, intent than, it, uh, than just a statement of coming into being, uh, if you will. Um, so that so that this idea that God made the two greater lights here, let me actually pull up my Hebrew here. Uh, Mayor, so Mayor for lights. Um, you have the greater light, which is the gate all, and then the lesser light, Katan, and they're made to rule Mimsala, Mimsala, Mimsala. All right. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day, the lesser light to rule over the night. And he made the stars also. So just some literary things that I'm noticing. It's almost like he's even avoiding these two great lights that are obviously the sun and the moon. But it's almost like the text is totally avoiding even saying that they're the sun and the moon. And it's almost like he mentions he made the stars also, almost kind of like they're an, an afterthought. Now, the, these these stars, those luminary bodies, are also always allusions to um, he- heavenly, divinely created beings, or you know what the New Testament would term to as angels. <coughs> these two great lights, however, you know we know that the um, the Egyptians worshipped the sun and the moon as mm-hmm. uh as two two different deities and so i you know i just kind of see here within the text you know god god's the one that made these two lights mm-hmm. um there is a greater light ruling over the day a lesser light ruling overnight he made the stars also um basically you look up that all came from him it look all down came at from the him. ground and all the trees and plants and everything that all came from him um you know that's kind of what the 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 um, the title of this whole section is. Uh, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Basically, you look up, you look down, you look all around. God made it all. Um, and so here, this is the part of the looking up. You see the sun, you see the moon, and the, in the simplest senses, you see all these things. You see the stars also. He made them, and he made them with a purpose, and they and- serve his purpose even more so. Um, they didn't go aberrant, which is even more interesting, uh, as far as for the sun and the moon and the stars are still good for setting dates and times and seasons and all this kind of stuff, uh, because they're still experiencing that in the 15th century BC. They're still experiencing that there's timekeeping, there's days and night cycles, uh, the sun and the moon still shine at his command, and they're still working the same way, right? Even yeah. though other things in creation have gone aberrant. 
Um, because we do have hindsight and we know a little bit of the future stories, it too soon to kind of possibly infer here that there's possibly the illusion to, obviously these things are made to show attributes of God and, and for his glory, but is there any inference we can make as to them being for us? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not for God to keep track of days and times. And he doesn't seasons. need that. It's really for us, right? It's it's for it's for us. So, I guess from you know, are we are we saying that these literal sun, moon, and stars are made for us? Yes. Are these illusionary ideas of the angels, and are are they? Were they there for us too? Well, uh, you know, we know Paul says that aren't you know aren't angels not but ministering spirits? Um, so I, well, I, I think that's kind of again sticking in the neat. text though, and we're not going to have anything like that yet. Correct, correct. We don't, correct. We don't even get any to any living things technically yet. Yeah. Um, until the fifth day. Um, now, yeah, you know, in retrospect, we've got. We've got all their things going on in the creation. This is not an exhaustive account of creation, which is why I said if this was told in the 8th century BC, it would look very different. It um, would. Yeah. If, if, this, if God was giving this at the time of the New Testament, this account would look very different because this is a very selective telling of the creation of the world, uh, selective focus, uh, and, and answering selective questions uh, that a 15th century audience would be interacting with. Uh, one of the reasons that makes it very difficult for some of the arguments that was written later. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, if, if something else comes out of this, I mean, that, that address perhaps a little bit later on because we get to kind of some strange beings later on in this text um, that we, uh, you know, things like cherubim and uh, well, a serpent that seems to break all the rules of being a serpent that I've ever known. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there <laughs> at some point. I know we're kind of nearing yeah, close so there's to the... Yeah. Evening and morning, the fourth day, mm -hmm. um, God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Um, and and, and there is, there's kind of one of the first difficulties with the idea that there's, there's just this clear-cut expression of what the heavens are. Is This is birds flying up in it. Uh, yeah. and, and they're also flying, you know, across the, the expanse of it, the hardened expanse of it. So it, it really, really calls a lot of the theories, uh, into question regarding clarity as to what's being referred to here, uh, as if these terms aren't just interchangeable because all of a sudden God putting the sun and the moon and the stars into the expanse, if you look at it, um, he's sets them verse 17 in the expanse of the heavens and then the birds fly there <laughs> um you know we again we live in a time 19th 20th 21st century where where we have all these like separations between where the birds are and where the sun moon and stars are and where god dwells and everything like this you know and there are, might be biblical reasons to even refer to that right third heavens and all that who knows but the reality is in the 15th century BC, what are they talking about? When I look up. Yeah, you can empathize a little bit with what the, the audience would 
somehow just relate to everything up there is the heavens. There's no reason to delineate. They don't have planes. They don't have space shuttles. They don't have satellites, and they don't... None they of don't know about the ozone on. layer. Right. And so, like, for instance, yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. That's a great example, for instance. So if, if God was if God was giving revelation today on, on the book of Genesis, and he, he's sitting down and writing out, um, he would be much more detailed in his creation narrative. Based on what we know. and Based on what we know and what we interact with. Hey... You know, you know all those animals that you think just kind of created themselves from the primordial ooze? No, I made those. And he would focus a lot more on exactly how he created the beasts of the earth. He would probably even sit down and say which kinds there were so that we could actually even see that. Um, but that's not the time he gave this. He gave, he gave this to the ancient Israelites. And we got to interact with it there. So when they're looking up, what are they seeing? Well, they're seeing where the sun, moon, and stars are and birds. Um, let's not get too definitive about exactly what their worldview was either, because it's not always that clear either. Um, because obviously here God is interacting with the fact that basically when you look up, you're looking at the expanse, you're looking at the heavens, that's where the birds fly, that's where the sun, moon, and stars are. I think verse 21 is interesting because here it says he created the great sea creatures and every living and moving thing on which the water swarmed. Yeah. According to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and saw that it was good. So there's also so you saw this up above, kind of this repeated, this repeated thing of let, and then God mm-hmm. created. Um, you know, there let the water swarm, da 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 da, and then it says God created. So it's like you have God speaking. And there's, you know, uh, depending on what translation, what Bible you have, you know, I've got quotations there in the NET. And then then there's just the explanation. He created the great sea creatures and every living moving thing in which the water is warm. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing other than that to, to really read into that at, at, at this point. But I'm seeing I now I what would I would say a, a repeated, <laughs> I'm seeing this repeated, just this repeated thing, God speaks Mm-hmm. Um, now there's definitely some some interesting things when it's talking about great sea creatures, because um, that's what I would say in allusion to you know what they would deem as chaos monsters like you know we, mm-hmm. we hear of Leviathan and Behemoth, um, and all know, the other in ones the Book of Job of. and all the other right. ones that we would know of. Uh, we things don't that actually, make the great deep terrifying. How's that? Things that make it scary. Right. Um, so you got chaos out there, you got death out there, and oh, now there's these chaos monsters that are out there. Yep. And God made them. They're his. They're his. And he, he's about to tell them to multiply. <laughs> yeah. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the water in the seas and let right. the birds multiply on the earth. There was right. evening, there was morning the fifth day. That's awesome. Uh, it's it's just I love I love watching how God talks about this stuff, right? And so now we have the first blessing, uh, and it's not directed at humankind. In fact, humans aren't even on the stage yet. It's directed at sea creatures and birds, and they're given a very similar command: be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas, let birds multiply on the earth. 
There was evening, there was morning, fifth day. And then he repeats, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, cattle, creeping things, wild animals, each according to its kind. Mm -hmm. It was so. And then here again, you have God made wild animals according to their kinds, cattle according to their kinds, all the creatures, God creep along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. So you have God being quoted, then taking action. He says it, then he's active. Um, we, we can definitely see by this point he is he's quoting, saying words, and then he's the one that's actively being the one that's making this thing happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So then we have verse 26. God said, let us make humankind interesting on let us maybe that'll have to be another episode but let us make humankind in our image after our likeness Mm -hmm. so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the cattle over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth Hmm. god created humankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them all right so first of all now we is the first time we have something about who we are and he automatically is i guess this idea of dominion that he's given us over all of this creation right that's a big deal uh, that's that's a scary deal right mm-hmm. because i mean you have uh, you have all sorts of other things that are going on in this creation. You have the waters that brought forth all the stuff and the earth that brought forth all the stuff. And then God specifically makes man. Um, th- that that separation, I mean, you have you have the waters over the face of the world, then light and darkness separation, then 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 land and sea separation, uh, day and night separation, signs and seasons separation. Uh, all of these things, uh, so many different, you know, this side and that side, this side and that side, this side and that side. And all of a sudden the waters bring forth everything and the earth brings forth everything. And now we have something completely new in verse 26. Also, yeah. this is the first time you hear this address. And so he, God's been quoting almost like maybe like he's speaking to somebody. But now you have let us make mm-hmm. humankind in our image. Um, Tim, I, I, I know you've probably heard this. I don't know where you're, where you land on this. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard it taught that this is an allusion to the Trinity. I do not believe that that is what's happening here. I, I would thoroughly agree with you that that is an invalid Old Testament interpretation. Uh, that would be, that would be anachronistic and back reading. And as you know, I hate back reading. Uh, I, you, you want to read things in their context, and you don't want to even go to the next verse before you understand this verse somewhat. Um, so no, uh, the idea of reading the Trinity back into this, that doesn't mean the Trinity wasn't there. It means that's not part of the revelation of God in the 15th century BC. That's right? not what's happening. And you know, The even... revelation of God in 15th century BC is trying to pull them out of yeah. polytheism. He, yeah. he's, he's not, and, and that's why Deuteronomy 6 is being written at the same time here. You know, the Lord your God is one Lord, and he just hammers that home in their head because he's taking them out of an entire world that's polytheistic. And so there's parts of these things that will interact with that worldview, 
Um, but no, this is not the Trinity. I, I don't think that that's a valid interpretation. I've heard that one said a lot, but no, I would not. I would not hold to that. Obviously, it is maybe a, a little bit weird. And so maybe that's just kind of one of those things. So for me, um, you know, when I'm reading reading the text and there's something that just kind of sounds weird or a question, first of all, it's when I get excited. And maybe mm-hmm, it's just yeah. kind of where you mark your Bible or, 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 or write down and just kind of footnote this saying, like, what's happening here? You know, because really, we, we don't necessarily know, if, especially if we're starting at Genesis 1, now we're to verse 26, and we hear this, let us make humankind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just go, well, it sounds like he's talking to somebody. However, because of the next sentence, yeah. we know it wasn't a plurality of beings that are doing the creation. It's it's God that's doing the specific creation because he says God created humankind in his well, own and, image. And on top of that, we're not made in the image of anyone other than God. Correct. So we have we have even more limiting factors here. So what do we do with that? Because if we can't go with a plurality of God, because we're not polytheists and we can't go with anything other than God, because, uh, we, you know, um, aren't made in the image of anyone other than God. What do we do? I say we table it and remember it. And it's maybe something that we got to come back to. It's weird. Um, it should be, it's weird for a reason, uh, especially for our ears. Right, but oh, yeah. but to Definitely read into so. this being be, being a Trinity, well, first of all, that let's just talk about the possibility of it being a Trinity. If if in fact that was it, that there's a problem there, because the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, doesn't need to tell himself something that himself already knows. So you would have a theological problem if that was the Trinity, and it sounds more like. Um, if you read in this idea of a Trinity, how you can have heresies on down the line, which we do have, and this is one of the texts that they will kind of look at for it is that of, of modalism or, you know, some other type of, um, Christian heresy. So we're not going to, you know, go down that rabbit trail right now. Right now we just table it. Yeah. It's weird. I, I will say, you know, the only thing that kind of pulls it out of weirdness for me um, is at least a feasible explanation of it being the royal plural, um, uh, which is common and is possible that that it is a, a a rulership or a kingship reference to you know we are going to do this or um, uh, and so forth. That is a possibility, um, but l- honestly, I would say there, there's really not a lot of really good answers for that, um, and God doesn't talk like this elsewhere. Mm-mm. He just doesn't. Actually, he does in Genesis um, 10 and 11. Okay, okay. I mean, aside from the opening of Genesis, this is not how God speaks up until, you know, the book of Revelation. It doesn't happen like this. That's correct. Even even in um, where you have, like, uh, the, the revelation of the Trinity, finally we see who God is like, at least in some aspects or whatever. You don't have conversations like this. You know, the, the, the closest one to it uh, is is the high priestly prayer of Christ in John 17. And you really don't even see it kind of like this either. Um, you see 
you see sort of but it that would be asking way too much of genesis chapter one to say this is trinity i don't think that's even viable yeah i, I know I, I know there's I others who think this is the angels or um, heavenly host or heavenly host and things language, like this yeah. that makes it really difficult in the fact that we're not made in the image of those beings uh, we're made up the image of God. Um, uh, well, and I think that's why verse 22 is important there. I mean, uh, not not verse 22, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 27 is important. Yes. Um, he's saying humankind in our, in our image. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do know and believe, or at least I, you know, we believe that there is other beings that God created these sure. heavenly beings of, of the lots heavenly host that are that are also made in some kind of likeness of God so there's no need to you know possibly assert that um, other divine beings had took part in this creation of humanity because because we have verse 27 that says God is the one that created humankind in his own image um, but literarily we can go back let us make humankind in in our image that that tells me literally that there's other beings that are also made in god's likeness that i believe he's possibly addressing um it, it's that just seems that to it make makes it, it makes it complicated because i mean it does in the in the hebrew here we have the the word elohim um which is a plural if you're familiar with with um it can be plural or it can be singular yeah, yeah based yeah. upon so, the context and a lot of that depends on context and it seems here obviously anytime you come into it verse 27 for instance you reference so elohim uh a, a technically a plural ish word uh created man in his own image obviously denotes that, that we're talking about a singular here um Correct. his own image which kind of brings more shade into the question of what is us even referencing um and in the image of god he created him and and it goes singular again and even singular for man even though he's about to denote plurality male and female he created them and so it's it is a remarkable turn uh it's something that doesn't stand out to us very much in the english but uh it certainly is there in the hebrew is there the possibility so there's people that are going to assert um, what would be the idea of co-atomism? Meaning, I can't say I've ever heard that terminology before. Co-atomism, and they, they get it off of this verse, 127, that this could be the possibility of, of multiple plurality of males and multiple plurality of females and not necessarily one male and one female. I do not believe um, that that is what's being communicated but i've heard that you, i mean have that, you ever heard of that i have not heard that argument i also have never even theorized that argument because it's just simply not here in the text you would have to bring it to impose it uh the entire narrative here is condensed in one man and one woman i mean yeah literally the foundation of marriage of humankind of culture of the fall of how sin came into the world all sorts of things everything is dependent on this being only one male one female um so and and i agree with that that would Um, be a really bizarre uh that's not even an interpretation that's an extrapolation um and that would be a rough one to (laughs) a rough one to try to prove i'd i'd like to hear that well i've seen some interesting interesting arguments for it and I, i can't say that it I've heard way, way more crazier and way worse, but, but co-atomism and, or, 
pre-atomism um, because we're going to have another somewhat a, a creation account, which Tim and I, we're, we're going to kind of speak to what I, I believe where me and you land on what this is, is kind of a snapshot of of this creation of, of Adam and Eve again. Right. And, and um, however, so there's, there's people that theorize co-atomism and or pre-atomism. And as you say, that I believe that is reading in to the text um i i suppose it's a possibility there's not anything to say that that's not what's happening but i literally i i do not i do not get that out of, out of the text although it there are some people that do theorize that right oh there's people that theorize everything about these chapters i i i if it's it, it it's interesting so yeah i mean we'll come back when we come back to genesis 2 i'm sure we'll we'll deal with yeah. some of that so let's finish genesis 1 before we close out this episode all right so god bless them said to them be fruitful multiply fill the earth subdue it yeah really similar to the to the animals thing except for now we have a subduction part to this and a dominion part which is fun dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth God's now first of all think about how intimidating that would be right <laughs> a lot of these things are much bigger than us they have much sharper teeth than us and claws than us uh it, it's that's fantastic anyway verse 29 <laughs> you know why why us we have no claws no teeth to really speak of and we're the ones that are supposed to be subduing everything that's just an interesting thing it kind of makes you wonder what it was like to stand there as the first adam and eve uh well we haven't even seen them named yet so hang on god said behold i have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food now it is important that their food is not just the garden of eden it is everything all throughout the entire world uh yeah, we don't not, have eden yet uh, exactly so to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. It was so. God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening. There was morning the sixth day. Uh, we should probably read the first three verses of chapter two because it kind of... Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. And because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So interesting. We spoke about this um, previously, me and you, just one-on-one, just talking about this idea of holiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that is holy is, and this is just a very good example it didn't do anything to get this holiness meaning it's not it's not um i didn't i didn't at work or attain anything to hold to holiness none of these things work to attain holiness it, it it it's a matter of identity that it was made holy um and it that's because god did that god is the one that said it was holy um I think we get a misunderstanding of kind of what holiness is. I mean, I know that I have, um, but God is who says it's holy. He made well, it holy, holy is just good behavior and law keeping. I thought, right? <laughs> no, uh, I think that's a different idea. But I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people sit there. 
sit there and and or believe do doing something to attain and and being holy it misses the point of what holiness is that you're you're holy because god said you're holy right you know when god um the angel of the lord say appears to joshua or, any, or anybody else and and take off take off the sandals on your feet because the place you're standing is holy well the ground didn't do anything for it to make itself holy it was holy because god said it was holy right god made um, it holy god made it holy god's presence was there he said it's holy it's holy almost um, like it's a continuance of his creation but with purpose and that that is that is a curiosity with regards to holiness that keeps showing up throughout scripture is is that god is the actor when it comes to holiness um in the new testament especially in the church age so we bring it down to application for us who is the one that holies us i mean we use the term all the time and we make it all about us a sanctification i mean it's, it's the same root word for holiness it, you are you are holying uh, but it is not you doing this. It is good works that God works through you. And the the setting, and it's not even just focused on the works. It's actually focused on the position that Christ has put us in and what he is making us uh, more and more crafting us after the image of Christ. And so there's this, there's this, there's this focus of what God is doing constantly, even in time uh, to bring about holiness in his people. And we keep making it us about us. Yeah, it's kind of like there's it, there's 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 tension there because it's like you know you're you're holy now and I'm I'm also he's also making you holy that 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 mm-hmm. process but it's it's not anything that we're doing because if it was something that we were doing it would be about us we have no possibility to do that it's Christ right. in us that's giving us the blessed ability and opportunity to to take part yeah. in His holiness. Um, it's, it's a great thing. We're kind of running out of time, yeah. Tim, do you want to close us out in prayer before we go, um, and, and think about Genesis one and creation and, and what it means to us. And we, you know, we ask listeners to kind of read through these things, send us some questions, send us some yeah. things that stick out to you. Um, maybe some things that you'd like us to address. Um, and, and we'll go from there. Why don't you close us out? Yeah. Love to. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you here for even the opening chapter and the next couple of verses that we get to read and work through and struggle with. And at the end of it all, we we want to thank you that you made this world. Mm. We want to thank you that you are the one and the same God that formed the dry land and brought out all of these things that have delicious flavor uh, beautiful appearances. Um, you even made animals with personalities, even though they don't have the higher faculties mm. that you've given to us. Mm. Uh, Father, we pray that we do not hold this world um, and the dominion and the subduction in it um, with a closed fist, nor with a an iron fist. Mm. We hold it with generosity, and we hold it with love as something that you have made and you have given us to take care of. Uh, Father, we know now that thorns grow in the ground and um, and death occurs and we return to the dust and so do the animals around us. Uh, while we do hold the breath of life, we pray that we use it to praise your name 
and to bless your name. For you alone are worthy, and you alone are the Holy One. And we thank you, Father, for the things that you have done and the things that you are doing, and for one day, the things that you will remake and enjoy with us side by side and face to face. We look forward to that day with great anticipation. Amen. for listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at caleb at theologyuntucked.com. Or you can reach me at tim at theologyuntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit theologyuntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.